Hello, podcast listeners. This is Teresa McBean here at North Star Community. I'm a pastor here along with... I am Scott McBean, her son, not her husband, as we like to say, because so often people somehow look at us and don't notice the 30-year age gap between the two of us. You know what it is, don't you? Um, I know you're going to say it's because you look young, and I'm happy to I'm happy to go with that. Just for... Actually, I was going to say you look really old. <laughs> <laughs> it did happen this past weekend, though. Somebody, yeah, I, I was that just... Was, that was funny. I'm, I'm kind of getting used to it, but I still consider it pretty creepy. I'll never be used to it. I don't want to be used to it. I don't get it. I don't understand. Uh, it's just, I, I don't... It's just creepy. Uh, anyway, that's uh, not what we're here to talk about today. Today, we are starting a new series, which is unique in that we're going to be looking at one particular uh, book of the Bible from... Uh, start to finish and it's the book of first john i think you and i liked it um because it's got you know a lot of good stuff in there to discuss but also it wasn't too long so it didn't feel too cumbersome Um, yeah and i think the other issue is like in terms of trying to prepare you know we're trying to prepare messages on a weekly basis for a particular kind of crowd we are a recovery ministry and so we have a niche and so because of that it's not so easy to use electionary or whatever. Right. Uh, it's not, um, and it's not easy to just go through a book of the Bible because we are trying to select passages that are relevant to an audience in recovery, like particularly relevant to an audience in recovery, and that means doing some hand selecting. And so that's why we uh, are more jump arounders than yeah. people who can just stay in one place and feel confident that that's okay. We're trying to, I guess the bottom line here, the point that I'm trying to communicate is that we're trying to honor our crowd um, generally by not just going through anything, by being a little more selective, which um, which is totally fine. And so I think, but I think this is a book that uh, we feel like um, can speak to a recovery audience from start to finish without, yeah. without a lot of gaps or, or awkward weeks in there, so... Hey, totally off the subject for a second. Sure. But when our friend Greg Taylor was here a couple of weeks ago, he described a church that he used to pastor, which has some similar uh, passion about it as we do at North Star Community. He called his former church a church in recovery. I really like that. I wonder if you and I ought to uh, think about that as a good descriptor for North Star Community. But I think that... Uh, whether we try to uh, steal from Greg uh, an identity phrase or not. Um, borrow. Borrow. Borrow without permission. Borrow without permission. Um, that I do think that that is really true for us, that one of the things that we try to live within the parameters of are looking to explore what God's Word has to say about uh, living life, um, living the life that our community is living. So I, I lean heavily on the experiences of the people, their stories, to inspire and inform me as to what I'm researching and studying every week. So this uh, this is an extension of that. So yeah, First John, and you started it off. I did. And I got to tell you, um, do I say this every time you do a message? 
I uh, was really astounded by how much you got out of those first 11 verses in the first chapter of 1 John in terms of its um, depth. Sometimes you feel like the introduction to some of these letters of the Bible, uh, the first few verses could almost be throwaway lines or something that we've heard over and over and over again. You didn't do that. Um, so I'm eager for you to get started uh, sharing with the crowd uh, what it is you did do with those first verses in First John. Yeah, um, I'll read them here in a second, and then we can kind of dig in. But I think that um, if I were to describe to people what I try to do, it's uh, most often it's trying to take a 30,000-foot perspective on thing to get the big picture. Because mm -hmm. I, I often think that there's uh, a lot more to draw from a big picture perspective than from a little picture perspective. And I think um, I've, begun to, I've begun to call it uh, competitive sermonizing, which is like who can find uh, s sermons in some ways have become like an exercise and who can find the niftiest detail okay. that nobody's ever heard before. Okay. And so that's why, you know, you'll go into a church and it's like they'll pick one word and they'll say, this word changes everything we know about the whole fabric of reality. And you take exception to that. <laughs> I tend to think. That's I mean, always bugged you. Well, we can we can talk about Enneagram numbers and that kind of thing, but I don't think there's ever one thing that changes the fabric of reality, right? And right. so, and I think that to focus and on... And if there is, you're the one that's going to find it, not somebody else. <laughs> well, no, I don't think... So. I'm not even looking for that. I have no interest in it. Um, and I, I think that that kind of thinking is more misleading. It's, I think you have a phrase, majoring in the minor. Yeah. It's overemphasizing the things that are of lesser consequence. And sometimes it's emphasizing things that are of no consequence, right. which I think is even more problematic. Yeah. And so, um, yes, what I try to do and when I succeed, it's helpful. And um, otherwise, it's just, I think, at worst, uninteresting. So I think that's what I try to make my worst case scenario. If okay. my worst case is, scenario is boring, that's great. If my worst case scenario is misleading people, I'm 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 losing sleep over that. Yeah, right? that'd so, be very upsetting to think you were misleading people. Right. So here, here. Well, I'm sorry. You breathed like you're getting ready to say something. No, I just was trying to remain conscious. Breathing is important. Oh, okay. I thought you meant that I was already putting you to sleep. No. <laughs> I like, didn't want well, to forget to breathe. Worst case scenario. <laughs> We announce to you what existed from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have seen and our hands handled about the word of life. The life was revealed, and we have seen and we testify and announce to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also announce it to you so you can have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you so that our joy can be complete. You really went to town with those verses, I thought. <laughs> uh, I don't know what that means, but um, yeah, I guess I, I guess so. 
Well, I loved how you didn't give us a message on how we're supposed to remain joyful all the time. Mm-hmm. So that was a big win. Yeah. Uh, you didn't p- pick apart the first seven words, which I always find annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah. What would you say was one of the main things that you wanted us to take away from that message that you'd be very upset if we had missed? Um, so, uh, I mean, I can go into detail if necessary. I'll let you be the judge of what kind of detail we need to go in here, what examples we need to give that we gave on Sunday morning. But big picture is what's being described here. And I think even in this is a readable translation of of the Bible. This is the CEB. It's meant to be readable. And you'll notice, perhaps, that it's not that readable. (laughs) I mean, you listen to those first couple verses and you're just like, what in the heck? Uh, but the idea is that um, God's life, uh, that God is an intimate part of his creation. I think that's part of what's being described here. And that God's people are drawn into God's life. They're, they're drawn into God's very being. And that has happened from the beginning, and it, it has happened long before us, and it will happen long after us. And it's a, they're describing a tradition you know, a tradition of God drawing people into his life, and that that is what eternal life is. Mm-hmm. And uh, as, as opposed to uh, perhaps the way we may have heard eternal life described as you're going to suffer on this earth but behave and believe so that you can experience eternal life with God as if eternal life is always out there in the future and, it, and, and it's only limited to the afterlife. Right. So often it's just talking about going to heaven when you die or that the whole point of, of faith is going to heaven when you die. Now, I'm not saying I believe in the afterlife and I believe that God will resurrect everybody from the dead and all that stuff that Christians believe, the orthodox doctrine of the future. I'm on board, right? But like, the way that eternal life is described in the Bible is um, much broader than that. I mean, that is a component of a whole. And so the idea is that eternal life is really God's life. It's gone before us, it it will continue after us, and it's something we're drawn into. And um, that, to me, uh, we can explore, unpack that, but there's a reason that they're talking about this. Uh, What we have seen and heard we announce to you so you can have fellowship with us. So it's it's not just that we're talking about God's life for no reason. It's that God's life allows us to be in community with one another in new and different ways so that we can be in community with God in ways that we otherwise would not be were we not drawn into his life. I didn't interrupt you on on the message during the weekend because I know that that annoys you, and I try not to do it unless I absolutely cannot keep my mouth shut. But uh, the first time I studied 1 John in depth, that phrase, fellowship with us, was the one I never could get away from for the whole verse, because uh, for the whole book, because it was so astounding to me. Um, I guess I was coming at that time historically from a perspective where eternal life was only talked about in terms of heaven and the afterlife. So he's he set this thing up by talking about uh, being in relationship with a God who um, 
wants to bring you into life, right, into yep. his life. But it doesn't say fellowship with God. It says fellowship with us. And that really um, was confusing to me and astounding and wonderful and one of those rare moments where Scripture becomes a real aha for me um, because it sort of set the tone for how I was able to look at the rest of the book. But I actually quite love that, that this, this fact that God is drawing us into his life actually impacts the life we have with one another. Yeah, I, there's the famous Bonhoeffer book. I think, yeah, it's Bonhoeffer, Life Together. Right. And um, so what I'm saying here is not a new idea. This goes back quite a while. But a lot of American Christianity, particularly in the South, has been faith is about you and God. Faith is about how God relates to you as an individual. And I think you're right. I mean, I think the that's why this would be confusing to read if you are reading closely, because the logic is you become a part of us, and us belongs to God. Right. Right? Like, you can have fellowship with us, and our fellowship, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. And, and so it's like individual, group, God. Right. And uh, I can't help but look at the uh, state of our world today and think about what an important message that is. Yeah. Because we definitely... Um, are living um, in the public arena, in the political arena at least, uh, with what seems to be some rather large disconnects about the we. Yes, and it's ironic because the internet gives us the um, false perception that we are joining groups online, right? That we're like part right. of groups online, but in reality what's that? what that's doing is it's isolating us Right. Even further, even though we may be talking to people. <laughs> uh, it, but you're right. You're right. I mean, we have serious, serious problems with the we. And um, this book and, and all of the letters in general are about how do we live life together. Right. Right. And so it, it's, it becomes the, the, the very message of these things becomes very distorted if we don't start there. Right. And the value of... Uh, the annoying and inconvenience of total commitment to community. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a, that is uh, has become sort of a real important thread of tapestry running through the way I think about my own life. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, were you? Was there anything you wanted to pick at there, or no? I just just wanted to call our attention to those who I hope will go back and, and reread this, notice that, just notice the language of that. Uh, this life of God gives us fellowship with each other, with, with, a, with a community. Yeah, so it's, it's um, starting by talking about the fact that, you know, we are tr that people are being drawn into this group and that this group is defined uh, by its closeness to God. And what I try to do to emphasize that was was remind people of what it's like to walk into a group for the first time. And so since we're a recovery community, we talked about what's it like to walk into a 12-step meeting for the first time. We got a variety of responses, but the kind of the consistent stuff is it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, uh, it's intimidating. I mean, we got a lot of that kind it's of confusing. stuff. It's confusing. It can be confusing. Everybody um, else seems to know what's going on and we don't. 
Right. Some feels of the, like a click. Some of the groups have a structure. Some of the groups don't have a structure. You see how close some of the people are while you feel so distant. And yet the way that the 12-step community works is, is if you're there, then you're a part of. If you're there, then you've joined. But we know that joining is not the same thing as belonging, right? Right. Because in, a, in, in, an, in the ideal, like faith would work the same way. You join and then you learn belonging. Right. Um, I, I don't mean to make a big deal out of that or try to define <laughs> the difference. I'm not trying to separate joy and belong, joining and belonging, but I'm saying the process of joining is quick and the process of belonging is not, and it's often very difficult. It takes a while to learn the customs, the norms, uh, the traditions, uh, to develop the relationships, yada, yada, yada. And I think that where we're about to move in First John is talking about the process, what it looks like to not just join, but then to belong. Well, I like the way, particularly in the weekend, that you drew that distinction out because so oftentimes um, we use language maybe without as much awareness as we could or should have about it. So like um, very often we'll say to somebody in the greeting, hey, make yourself make yourselves at home. Grab coffee. There's food in the back. Right. Right. Um, with the implication being, hey, this is like home. But to a newcomer, no, it isn't. Right. And um, that just is even more separating language. So I like telling the truth of it. You show up, you're part of. That's joining. But to belong, you're going to have to hang in with some of the awkward first dates. Yeah. And um, but you don't you're not going to get to the you're not going to get to the real good stuff, the intimacy and the connection and the community that comes if you can't lean into the awkward first dates. Yeah, that's true. And there's something, it's sort of incumbent upon the group to give you that opportunity, right? Like the group invites you on the dates and then you have to say yes and go or something. I don't right. I don't know how far we want to push on that metaphor because uh, eventually we're going to have to like compare it to... Yeah, nah, we, we could stop <laughs> it there. Uh, so um, it, it, does that make sense? It's like, it's not make yourself... A, I. You know, it's, I like that you brought that up because I hadn't really thought about this before, but it's it shouldn't be make yourself at home. It's like we're going to try to help you feel comfortable enough to consider learning how to treat this like home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's way too cumbersome to ever be a good marketing slogan, but it's m more true to life. Yes. No, you know, I think about people, you know, um, I sometimes have advanced knowledge about who's coming in for the first time, and I'm maybe a little hypersensitive to the fact that, you know, you're just not going to get to belonging fast. You know, you're not going to get to know everybody's name the first night. So, But a lot of people do know everybody's first name because they've been here for 15 years. So... I was yeah. really, really appreciative. We had, um, I won't say their name, but they probably will know who they are when they listen to this. Um, they started coming uh, about a couple years ago, mm -hmm. and um, they felt like they were having trouble getting integrated 
they felt they they join they felt like they were they were a part of but were struggling to belong right and rather than just stopping coming they actually spoke up about they actually asked me about that i was like so grateful that they did that yeah because it allowed us you know we started brainstorming ways to to make it more possible to belong and um and now they're so in, in, indispensable. I mean, you almost feel um, like we'd have to close the doors if they stopped coming. But so yeah. it's, it's really like, it's really nice when people are willing to like actually voice a need or, or to voice a disappointment and then allow people the chance to respond to it. And yeah, uh, anyway. So yeah, so, so ultimately I've, I felt like these verses were about joining and belonging. And um, a very specific type of that, right? Like joining right. into God's life by joining his group. And so this next part, I think, is about learning to think through the norms of the group and become integrated to the group. And um, I, I just for the sake of reading quickly, I, I skipped around a little bit, but it goes something like this. This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. If we claim we have fellowship with him and live in the darkness, we are lying and do not act truthfully. But if we live in the light in the same way as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin. Um, Then we, we make a little jump. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from everything we've done wrong. I believe those are the ones I read this weekend. They were. Uh, it's close enough, if yeah. not. Yeah, I was pretty close. So you, as I recall, you made a transition there, and you said, have you ever felt like um, a organization, a religious organization or whatever, said, hey, um, our doors are wide open, come join us and belong and then once you belong you it's sort of like uh you didn't get to see the fine print until you signed on the dotted line right and all of a sudden now uh your expectation is that you are a person who prays without ceasing who uh loves unconditionally who attends bible study faithfully who tithes 10 percent and then gives a little extra just because. So there is this expectation of all of a sudden that you, you it can feel sometimes a little bit like a bait and switch, and you called attention to that. And um, I really liked how you uh, said, no, that's not really what belonging should look like in the kingdom of God. Yeah. And uh, so tell, tell us a little bit more about how you used this first chapter to help us understand what real belonging in the kingdom of God in the present day can uh, and probably should be. Yeah, I mean, I think um, so many people have dualistic experiences of the church. Um, and that looks, on the one hand, that can look like the bait and switch of like uh, anybody belongs but then once you belong, you need to get better or you need to be good. Yeah. Um, It can be um, everybody belongs, and now if you fall, you get punished. Right. Um, And it can be as... Or people are disappointed in you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or it could be um, 
there's no darkness in God at all. Therefore, now there needs to be no darkness in you at all. Right. Um, you need to... Um, there needs to be no darkness, and therefore you can be truthful, right? Because right. Uh, nobody would ever... In such an environment as that, nobody would ever admit to a mistake. So everybody would then be a liar unless you were perfect. Right. So uh, you have all these messages that sort of set people up, I think. And we talked about this la- in the in the previous podcast, which it sets everybody up for what we would call spiritual failure. Mm. Uh, because um, or, they become paralyzed by the inability to perform to the required standard. Or serious hypocrisy. Right. Well, it would. Yeah. I mean, that would that would that's be, a given. That would be part of it. Um, so the message is neither if you fall, you will get whacked, nor is it you've joined. Now you need to be good. It's. So I guess maybe let me let me say it like this. The expectation that's being drawn here is not goodness or growth necessarily, although growth is a good thing. Right. Um, and goodness is good, I suppose, uh, depending on how you're talking about it. But the expectation here is not that you will become good, not that you will become better. It's that you will continue to acknowledge your reliance on God. And this is very similar to a message I gave a couple years ago where, um, (laughs) it, it, it turned a catchphrase amongst people that I did not expect, but stay sick. Right. And we talked about the passage of, of, um... We talked about a passage where uh, Jesus compares, uh, d- does a little parable, he compares people to um, a doctor. Uh, but the the point being, I think, in both places that um, to be well, we acknowledge our reliance on God to be made into people who can continue to participate in his community. The expectation is that we acknowledge our reliance on God. The expectation is not that we become less reliant on God by becoming better. Right. Which in no way uh, diminishes our pursuit of holiness, right? But what it is saying is the pursuit of holiness in its essence always is going to require us um, to be looking for soft places to fall when we fail. And I think that's the, the, the phrase you kept saying over and over and over again. A community that's part of the kingdom of God provides its people a soft place to land when they fail. Yes, because the pursuit, um, you could phrase this any way you want, the pursuit of betterment, the pursuit of goodness, the pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of cleanliness, no matter how you phrase that, it's a means, not an end. Right. So that's the part that's really important to me because the pursuit uh, inevitably brings with it a lot of failure. Right. Now, failure is nothing to be ashamed of if we get the logic of this right because for so many faith communities, the pursuit is the end not the means. Right. So we are pursuing this so that we become better. We are pursuing this so that we become good. Uh, now, we pursue this because of the desire to imitate God's character. And we assume it's not the end because the end for us is always falling on into God's hands, which is a soft place to land. 
And it is God who picks us up when we fall. It is never ourselves who pick ourselves up. Right. And that no matter what you do with the means, no matter what happens in between standing and falling again, it is always God whose hands we land in and who places us back on our feet. I'm sure I messed up my subject verb agreement there quite a bit, but I think you get my point. I get your point. And I think it's so important. I wish I had even used this language this weekend to think about the difference between the means and the end. Yeah. Because I think we're so freed to do that pursuit if we know that the end is always not our doing, it's out of our control, and something that we uh, trust in God to provide for us. Right. Which reminds me of the message that I did last weekend where we said compassion and mercy always starts with God. Yes. So it's really important as a community that's trying to live in the light to not see the that as a place where we can no longer have any darkness. It's just telling us how our darkness will be handled. Yes, and it's it, so it's fun. I'm glad you said that because it says that there's no darkness in God. Right. It doesn't say therefore there must be no darkness in you. It's significant that there's no darkness in God because that's what makes God the one capable of lifting us up. Yes, exactly. It's a good thing that there's no darkness in God because that's what allows him to care for us in our need. Okay, so let me uh uh, take you to an example you gave uh, over the weekend that I really loved. I think you did it Saturday night and didn't on Sunday. But you... Uh, it was a brain mishap. But, yeah. Yeah. Or well, it was spontaneous on Saturday, and I guess yeah. I forgot. But go on. Yeah. So you also took a, a moment and said, look, you know, when we're thinking of the Father of Light, right, mm-hmm. we have perhaps some ideas about, about from our imperfect fathers how how God might be. Yeah. And you use the example of, uh, you know, we sometimes talk about Jesus coming to save us because we were just so awful and God was undone with us and it was the only thing that could be done, right? Rather than this is a loving God who is not startled or intimidated by our darkness and he's not on his last nerve with us. Right. And you told the story of uh, Nora mm-hmm. throwing her food on the floor. So tell me about how you related to that as a father, as a real earthly father. Yeah, it's funny. I'm still not remembering because it was such a – I was very nervous on Saturday, and I was telling that so spontaneously. I can't remember exactly what I said, so you'll, you may have to help me. But the idea is that so often our images of fathers and children – or parents and children, is that there's some kind of antagonistic relationship between the two, or there's Mm -hmm. some some antagonism inherent uh, in that relationship. And, um, you know, Nora Nora has has developed this habit that was funny at first, but it's really getting annoying now just because it's gone on so long where when she's done eating, she throws her food on the floor like every other kid, right, like in, in the history of existence. And now she's added... So she throws her food on the floor, and we say no. So now she throws her food on the floor, and before we even say it, she says no. <laughs> so she just looks into our eyes, drops the food, and says no. As if, like, I know I'm not supposed to do this, um, and I'm doing it anyway. And it's so annoying, right? And it, and um, 
uh, on Saturday, I think this was the part that I told that, that people laughed at. On Saturday, we had just been to the farmer's market and we had bought these, um, you know, we had, we had bought some fruits and veggies and things from, from local farmers. And so she's, we gave her that for lunch and then she's taking this and throwing it on the floor. And I'm like, don't you throw that on the floor? Don't you know that that's, you know, farm to table and organic and locally right. grown and, uh, how Somebody dare you? went to so, a lot yeah, of trouble to, to make this you, without you, pesticides. You met the person who made that, and this is disrespectful. No, I mean I didn't say any of that, but um, yeah. So I mean, like uh, that was an example of me being a father who was annoyed with this child, um, and it's it's often difficult for us to conceive of any other way to be. I mean, perhaps because we've been that way with our children, which was the case for me, or or because that's how our parents were with us. But because we are often conceiving of God in terms of what we know, it's very difficult for us to conceive of God as he actually is, which is the father who so loves the world that he goes to work on behalf of the world. Yeah. Um, it's the most popular, John 3.16 is the most popular verse in the Bible, and yet the one that people fail to gr- fundamentally grasp. Yeah. Uh, God loves the world, therefore he's quite content to go to work on our behalf, not uh, God loves the world, therefore um, he hates working for you, which right. is so often the message that gets sent and received. Right, right. Um, and the point I was making is God's quite content uh, for the logic to work this the way that it does. Yeah. He seems quite happy to go to work on our behalf, has no problem with it all, at all, it at all, and in fact expects it to continue because the whole expectation for walking in the light is that we acknowledge when we fall that we are reliant on him. Yes. And none of that works. That dynamic would not work at all with a God who was not content to go to work on his people's behalf. Right. So I think that in looking at First John and as we're going to continue through the book, I think this is foundationally so important that um, we are being drawn into a life with God um, a God who is all light, no darkness, um, but who is really willing to go on, uh, go to work on our behalf uh, to give us a, sm- a soft place to land when we recognize that darkness and it breaks our hearts. Yes. Right? Because we're, we're now uh, approaching the throne of grace. We're seeing that grace and mercy start and end with God. Um, we've perhaps tasted the sweetness of that fruit, and we want to be people who can pass it on. Yeah. And yet sometimes we really get annoyed with our children who waste their farm-to-table organic fruits and vegetables, although I think it's completely adorable, and I will make note of the fact that when I fed her pizza on Sunday, she didn't drop a single drop That's right. of that non-organic, non-farm-to-table processed pizza. Um, I do want to, I know it feels like we're wrapping up. I think we've done, done enough here. But I did want to tell the second story that I told real quick. Please. Because I think it's, it's sort of significant in thinking about how we may apply this to our lives. Which is to say, Brittany and I had gotten in an argument um, on Saturday morning, and... 
Was Brittany throwing her food on the floor again? No, she wasn't. <laughs> but basically, we got into an argument over, um, and in, in order to do this quickly, the details don't matter, but parenting style, basically. And um, she had asked me to do something that I had promised to try to do in terms of my own parenting. And the reality is I hadn't really tried that hard to do it, if I'm being honest with myself. And right. she noticed me not doing the thing that I said I would do, and she called me out on it in a loving and gentle way, and I snapped at her. Mm-hmm. And I snapped at her because I was feeling, it doesn't matter why necessarily, but I was feeling insecure as a parent. I was feeling like uh, I was not fulfilling my obligation to Nora. I was, I was, in other words, I was feeling that what she was saying was true and in turn then feeling defensive enough to tell her what you're saying isn't true. Right. Uh, right. which is always the irony of such things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to revisit that later and I had to make an amends and apologize and it'll be a lifestyle amends both to her and to Nora um, now the point that I was making with that story is that she, Brittany was very gracious to me when I apologized because I think she has a commitment to walk in the light. She is also committed to giving me a soft place to land. And because I'm committed to walking in the light, I'm committed to being truthful about when I fall. Right. right. And then uh, to take it a step further, the only reason I'm able to be truthful about when I fall is because God has given me that ability. Right. That is the teaching of First John. And and has given Brittany that ability. Right. This ability on both of our parts is a gift from God that we are in the process of receiving, that we are grateful for. Right. And we know that he is the one who is working on our behalf to make this possible. And that that is the lesson that we are trying to learn. It is not... It is not here, you have permission to give up because God's the one who's going to make you whole again. It's keep trying, keep failing, no need to be ashamed of your failings, right? and know that the aftermath of your failings uh, is when God is going to go to work on your behalf, and be grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of the essence of what's, of what's at play here. You know, I... Uh... I love the 30,000-foot view, uh, and and I also uh, appreciate the challenge of trying to apply it in the day-to-day. Yeah. You know, um, I'm taking this class on clay, and I know we're wrapping up, but let me just tell you this one thing. So I'm taking this class in clay, uh, this clay class, and we're a very diverse group in there. And um, I love it so much. I love the people so much. I'm enjoying it so much. And one of the things that's really diverse about us is our experience level. And uh, today in my class, one of my classmates knew that I had ordered some clay work materials. Mm-hmm. And uh, they hadn't come in yet. So I didn't have a finishing sponge and all this stuff. And um, my my table mate was like, hey, I noticed your tools haven't come in yet. Um, you can use any of my tools you want, just don't keep any of them. <laughs> 
And um, that was in contrast to some observations that I had made with some folks in the class that had quite a different response. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help but think about the 30,000-foot message uh, being so applicable in the weeds. And I left that class thinking, um, the more experienced I get in this and the more tools I acquire, I want to be the person that shares my tools. Yeah. And it filled me with a lot of light to see that in this environment where we're not talking about the kingdom of God at all, right? Um, I could see how it was being expressed with grace and mercy and kindness and how this young uh, woman's perspective was really changing the environment of the room. And so I do think that your 30,000 view could really apply for all of us in the weeds. So dear podcast listeners, go enjoy being in your weeds and uh, looking for ways to, to see how to be part of that light because that, that's kind of cool. Yep. All right, we have to move on for today. We have used up more than our allotted time, and so we have to run quickly, but I will say a couple things in closing. One is the music that you've heard on the podcast today is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. You can find them on the web at sessions.blue. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, uh, then please um, subscribe in whatever podcast app you use. Um, and feel free to rate us and review us. That would be wonderful. And if you want to learn more about who we are and what we do, you can check out northstarcommunity.com or uh, you can learn about our campaign for Richmond at leadthewayrva.org. Thank you for listening.